you know, what are the big issues facing restaurants right now? And one that kept coming up was the way that the technology of third-party food delivery is transforming the industry in so many ways. We have no control over it, which I think is the scariest part because it is up to venture capital and, and where the consumer, you know, want how they want to spend their money to get food. This is Copper and Heat, the podcast exploring the unspoken rules and traditions of restaurant kitchens. I'm Katie Osuna. Earlier this year, I was working as an independent contractor to help open a couple kitchens in San Francisco and L.A. with Belcampo, the company that I had been working with for about a year. They have small butcher shops and sit-down restaurants up and down California, and one in New York. But around the time that I left working there full-time, they were embarking on a new strategy to grow revenue. They were doubling down on third-party food delivery apps. The two kitchens I helped open were part of a new concept called ghost kitchens. Though there are a lot of companies exploring these ghost kitchens now, Belcampo was working with a company called Cloud Kitchens, which was founded by the ex-CEO of Uber. Cloud Kitchens is renting big warehouses in bigger cities to convert into these ghost kitchens. Basically, the giant warehouse is home to 20 or 30 little box kitchens. There isn't a place for guests to come in and order. It's purely for online delivery and pickup by third-party app drivers. A restaurant like Belcampo will rent a small kitchen, maybe a couple hundred square feet, and run the delivery business out of that kitchen. That way, they can avoid paying overhead and front-of-house labor and reach more people in a city center. Ghost kitchens are just one example of how third-party delivery apps are changing the restaurant industry. It's really exciting in some ways, but terrifying in others. At the same time as I was helping Bill Campo expand their delivery business, of course, I'm reading and hearing these murmurings in the industry. Like I said, some things about it are really exciting, but others in the industry were getting really nervous about the whole thing. Mission Pie in the Mission District of San Francisco refused to use third-party apps because of the high commissions charged on orders, and subsequently they closed earlier this year. DoorDash acquired Caviar for $410 million. Grubhub was sued by several New York restaurants because Grubhub charged them for hundreds of phone calls over the years that didn't actually result in orders. So in this episode, we're exploring what happens when tech startups backed by venture capital with people working 9 to 5 in offices based in Silicon Valley create the apps and a whole new system that is relied on by restaurant folks across the U.S. I went on a mission to find a restaurant that is caught in the middle of this. As it turns out, there's one right down the street from me. And they happen to make my favorite food, mac and cheese. Homeroom is this really great restaurant in Oakland. I first went because of the mac, but I've continued to follow them because of the really awesome things that they're doing with their business. They have this really great policy to prevent sexual harassment. They're an open book restaurant where weekly financial meetings are open to all employees. They are also actively making sure that their management staff represents the Oakland community, with a lot of them being women or people of color. 
They're doing a lot of really cool and interesting things business-wise, but over the last five years, their business has been extremely influenced by the rise of online ordering and third-party delivery apps. You know, it's funny, it's actually originally I didn't want to do takeout. This is Erin. She's the owner and founder of Homeroom. Homeroom's first location, the sit-down restaurant, opened in 2011. And they made fresh mac from scratch only served in the restaurant. No takeout. Because I was such a mac and cheese snob. You know, it's a lot like pizza. It's still going to be tasty when it reaches your home. But it's like epically delicious, like right out of the oven, right? I just felt like I don't want people to eat like half hour old mac and cheese and be like, this was disappointing, you know? So we almost didn't even offer delivery. And then I realized like I was more snobby than your average person and that is what people wanted. So um, we decided to do it. Actually where it started really taking off is we're, we're always packed. Like we have lines out the door at night and it was hard to park in the neighborhood. And I also at the time, like I had a daughter and just realized like how hard it is when you're a parent to <laughs> be able to stop in and do anything, honestly. And at that moment in time, I, there were no delivery services at all. And so we did this thing we called the fly through, which was this like totally illegal <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, curbside pickup service. So we would just like station someone on the sidewalk. And if you pulled up your car into this like loading zone, we would walk the food out to your car if you had ordered it online. And people were obsessed with this service, you know, because no one else was offering it and it's just so convenient. And, um, you know, and our restaurant's tiny. And so elbowing your way past all the people waiting for a table to pick up your stuff behind the bar was really a pain in the butt. And so it just, the takeout was exploding and our kitchen's really small. I mean, our restaurant is less than 1,200 square feet. So our kitchen is like, I want to say, like maybe 250 of that. It's tiny, tiny, tiny. They had to figure out how to do takeout more effectively. And that meant expanding the kitchen. Uh, I just started like walking the neighborhood and trying to contact anyone to see if they would basically like abandon their lease or consider selling or bu their building or whatever. Because we knew it had to be really, really close to homeroom to be effective. We were really fortunate. A block away, there was this pretty rundown building and the woman who it like was basically vacant. So moved our takeout operations over here. But honestly, we were shocked. We did not realize how much pent up demand there was for delivery. Like we expected to do a similar volume of delivery as we had done at the restaurant, which was like, you know, a decent amount of our business. But I mean, it's now more than half of our business. And so literally we like doubled our revenue like almost overnight and it was a shock and actually the space was too small and since then we've had to because we only rented like a third of the building and now we rent the whole thing <laughs> so. homeroom now has two locations a block from each other they opened homeroom to go in 2014 just for takeout and delivery today is a kind of like slow day for right now, chill. But I mean, afternoon is going to be way different. Afternoon is always busy right here. I stopped by on a Friday night to see what it was like during one of the busiest times. And around 6 p.m., it was wild. 
I work, I'm working for almost three years and eight months. It's a really nice experience to me. This is Luis. All right, my name is Luis Aldana. I'm working here in Homeroom. He's the kitchen manager for both homeroom locations. In a busy, busy week, we use almost close to 3,000 pounds of pasta. So that's, that's a lot of pasta for, for homeroom. Uh, I mean, sometimes in one hour we have like close to 100 and 140 orders in one hour. While cooks and others in the restaurant industry are used to being in the weeds, this new form of restaurant makes the flow of a busy service a little bit different. All right, with the tickets coming in, let's say I want to pick it up this one right here. In the top, they show you what uh, third pairing is. So we have a caviar, we have Dordas, we have all these third partings. Right here we have one for caviar, right? On the top of each ticket, it says which third party system the order came through. It also says what time the order came through and what time it will be picked up. And right now it's 146 and they pick it up the order in 157. The default time is 10 minutes. Each mug right here is making by scratch. So thinking about all those busy times we're making 140 mags, we use 140 pots. So we try to have everything for the line cooks. The cooks have all the ingredients that go into a mac in little baggies so that they're portioned and ready to go. They throw the sauce, the toppings, the pasta into a pot. At a different station, one line cook is just cooking pasta. Each mac is made to order so that 10 minutes goes by really quick. One of the challenges in a takeout location is making sure the line cooks put just as much effort into the quality as a sit-down place. All the time I tell my, my employees, make the Mac if that Mac's like for you. Some people think like, we put it in the container and nobody's going to see it, right? But I mean, think about it for you and the customer and customer size, you wanna open that container and it looks like amazing food, right? This is just for one order. In the meantime, several more tickets are coming through. There's usually a person that's like organizing tickets by time. This is Robert. He's the general manager of the Homeroom To Go location. When you have, I don't know, 15 tickets printing at the same time, some of them are in-house, some of them are call-ins, most of them are third-party deliveries. They not only have five to six different delivery apps going at the same time, but there are also phone-in and walk-in orders. Trying to like balance that is kind of a fun puzzle. When an order is ready, the kitchen staff brings it out to the front with the ticket. And so we have like a system in place for going through the receipt and then bag it and wait for the driver. The bag goes on a wire rack waiting to be picked up. The team at Homeroom have built some pretty impressive systems to keep everything running smoothly. But even though takeout and delivery has been around for a long time, the industry has been changed a lot by these big tech companies making third-party delivery apps. You know, what are the big issues facing restaurants right now? And one that kept coming up was delivery, the way that the technology of third-party food delivery is transforming the industry in so many ways. I talked to someone who could help me understand a little bit more about how these third-party apps have grown so much and what effects they're having on restaurants in the U.S. His name is David. You may have heard him in our previous episode. Great. So I'm David Yaffe-Bellany, and I cover the food industry for The New York Times. 
He's talked to a lot of people about the implications of third-party delivery apps on the restaurant industry and how they've been able to grow so rapidly. With the advent of smartphones and the kind of increasing ease of this type of ordering, they've grown and grown in popularity, especially over the last two or three years. And, you know, we're still at a point where, you know, delivery orders certainly don't account for anywhere near the majority of, of restaurant orders. But Every year, more and more restaurant orders are being made over these platforms, and various analysts have projected that the number of orders will keep going up. Since 2013, the number of people using these food delivery apps has gone up by around 20% each year. And these analysts that David is talking about have projected that by 2023, 60% of smartphone users will be using the apps. It's a growing business, and it's just going to keep growing. So restaurants have to figure out what that means for them. So you've got a number of restaurants now, you know, traditional brick and mortar restaurants that still have seating areas and that sort of thing that have essentially kind of reformatted some of the kitchen area so that they can, you know, be filling delivery orders in one part of the kitchen and doing in-house orders in another part of the kitchen. Some of them have kind of redesigned the kitchen spaces so that there's more counter areas that they can put those bags that are then collected by delivery drivers. Homeroom is an extreme example of how delivery drives the physical locations of restaurants. A lot of restaurants, like David said, have had to just figure out how to make do with the space that they have and restructure their line to have space for takeout boxes and bags instead of just plates. It is really cool that restaurants are able to grow their revenue by reaching customers at home, but it's definitely not a system without its problems. The delivery is like about, it's, well, it crawls up every, every month and that has been consistent at this point for years. So now, I mean, it's over 50% of the business that we do at our takeout location is delivery. And honestly, every month, the number of people walking in just declines, which is sort of sad. Like, we enjoyed seeing our community, (laughs) but I'm glad we can be part of their night in as well. There is a big cultural shift happening with more people ordering in rather than going out. But some of the biggest challenges come when you get venture capital-backed tech companies based in Silicon Valley creating apps used by restaurants across the U.S. Yeah, I mean, we did have a million different tablets and it felt like the Starship Enterprise in there. I mean, just all of them like have different rings and different buttons. And I mean, it felt like, you know, you were like at the control center of like a spaceship. So that reached a point of unsustainability and we decided we needed to consolidate them. So we currently use um, OrderMark to consolidate all of them. And so it just sends everything to a single iPad and allows us to do it. But you know, there's a certain danger in that. I mean, when that thing goes down, it's really terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I I wish I could tell you it's like really elegant and that works well. So it's like no longer the Starship Enterprise over there, but it's, it's very vulnerable. There are a lot of challenges with the technology of the third party apps, but that's only part of the frustrations that face restaurant owners. After the break, we talk about some of the technology challenges, but also the wider clash of tech startup versus restaurant people. In the spring of 2019, I helped open a few different restaurants within the span of a couple months. You know, the usual process of recipe testing, ordering, frantically working with contractors to get the kitchen built out, and then the dreaded hiring process. We were always up against deadlines and understaffed, and I didn't know how we were going to pull it off. Paired is how we pulled it off. 
Paired is an app where you, as a kitchen manager or chef, post shifts that you need people for, and Paired fills those shifts with vetted, qualified restaurant professionals. They match people with similar experiences or backgrounds to make sure you get someone who can handle the work you need done. At one of the restaurants I helped open, we were using three Paired pros a night to help us get through opening, and many of them were so great we ended up hiring them full-time. Paired is a great tool to give you peace of mind, whether for a, my dishwasher just called out Friday night, or a weekly shift you've had a hard time hiring for. I would highly recommend giving it a try. To get started with Paired and save 30% off your first shift, visit Paired.com copper, or use the offer code copper during booking. That's P-A-R-E-D.com copper. I just wanted to take a second to recommend a show I think you're really gonna like, especially with the holidays coming up. It's called Wine School Dropout, and it's a short 10-minute wine education podcast that teaches you everything you want to know about wine but are afraid to ask. The show is hosted out of Paris, France by wine expert and consultant Girl Meets Glass and aims to change the way you see wine. Subscribe to Wine School Dropout in your favorite podcast app. When I was at Homeroom to Go on that Friday night at 6 p.m., I walked in probably at the worst possible time. Their system was down and they were frantically trying to get it functional again. So we've got all of the tablets, as you can see. Um, technically, this one was supposed to replace all of them, but we like ended up having some issues where we needed to keep all of them out just in case, I guess. It does have issues, but knock on wood, it's working right now. <laughs> this is what Robert told me when he was talking to me earlier in the day. Apparently, a failure in the system happens pretty frequently, and it's always a mad dash to figure out what the issue is. In the meantime, they still have all these orders coming in. Um, and so trying to like diagnose the problem takes enough time by itself, but while your internet is down or while something like that is happening, you're not receiving those orders that you're supposed to be. When you finally get it working again, it's like having to play catch up for the next half an hour. <laughs> and then a driver comes in to pick it up and you're like, I don't have a ticket for that. <laughs> I think my biggest problem with them, this is Hayden. I'm Hayden Tellis. I'm the director of operations here at Homeroom. People work regular nine to five hours who are technical support for those companies. And you are working for restaurants. And when do restaurants work and get busy? At night and on weekends. And so there's a, there's never anyone to help when the system goes down on a Saturday. There's never anyone to help when it goes down on a Friday at 8 p.m. when we are in the middle of our busiest hour of the week. I think that's the most obvious and most annoying is just that they're not thinking about who their actual customer base is, which are restaurant people. And restaurant people work nights and weekends. So many, so logistical things like that that seem really small to those companies because none of them, I don't want to say none of them, that's unkind and not true. The majority of those technicians who built these systems have not worked in a restaurant and have not been a line cook. Another issue with third-party apps is accountability for problems or issues. In a full-service restaurant, if a guest is unhappy, you give them a discount or something for free or figure out how to help them leave happy. 
With the third-party apps, it's not quite that simple. You know, if it was up to me, if it was up to Homeroom, it would be easy for us to, like, do a refund, give a gift card if something happened. But when you're when you've ordered through Caviar, they've taken your money. Like, I can't refund that money. So we have a lot of customers that call us expecting us to deal with it, which to me, I get it. It makes sense that they would be holding us accountable or responsible for those things. But as far as like being able to actually do something, me calling customer support for someone's caviar order, it's not always the easiest to get things fixed, I suppose. It's become really difficult to manage. Did we really forget this or did we not? It would be so easy to just constantly be like, oh, they forgot this. And then they're going to give me the refund on the DoorDash app or wherever it is. Like I know a lot of the third parties are tracking down on that and are looking for patterns in people who consistently are saying that I missed this or I missed something or this was late. You know, sometimes people are going to try to work the system, whatever the third party company is, you know, refunds it and makes it up to them in whatever way that company does. And they take it out of your payout. There's always a new thing to kind of keep your eye on with them. Always a new thing. (laughs) There is this clash in this new delivery system. There's very little trust between the restaurants and the third-party apps. Restaurant people don't feel like the apps understand them. They feel like they have to keep an eye on them to make sure that they don't get taken advantage of. And there have been some really big issues that came up. A few months ago, Grubhub was sued by a restaurant in Philadelphia. It was alleging that basically Grubhub would charge restaurants commissions on phone calls made through the app even when the phone calls didn't result in an order. So if you click on the restaurant's phone number in the app and you talk to somebody and ask them for a reservation or ask about the day's specials or something like that and then hang up, if the phone call lasted a certain amount of time, Grubhub might charge the restaurant a small commission. And it's only recently that restaurants have kind of looked at their monthly statements and figured out that some of these charges were coming from calls that didn't result in orders. And and Grubhub has pledged to refund restaurant owners for those inaccurate charges, but this policy has existed for years and years, and restaurant owners can only listen back to, I think, 120 days worth of recordings. So there's this feeling that Grubhub, this multi-billion dollar tech company, is nickel and diming these you know, mom and pop restaurants that really can't afford to be losing any money, even if it's only you know, 100 bucks a month or something like that. This is the biggest criticism I hear about the apps is that they're nickel and diming, not only the restaurants, but their employees and drivers as well. From the restaurant's point of view, these huge multi-million dollar companies are just finding ways to make more money. The big complaint that I hear from restaurant owners about these apps is that they charge really high commissions, and those commissions usually kind of range from 15 to 30%. So, you know, if you walked into a restaurant and you bought a $10 entree, Obviously, the restaurant wouldn't collect $10 in profits. You'd have to subtract the price of the ingredients and the wages that they're paying the waiters and, you know, the, the sort of the various overhead costs. But ultimately, they might walk away with a, with a decent chunk. But if you order a $10 entree over the delivery apps, you know, they still have to subtract those ingredient costs and some labor costs. But there's also this 15 to 30% commission. And so 
the margin gets thinner and thinner, and what restaurants walk away with after each order is much lower than if somebody ordered in from inside the restaurant or kind of ordered takeout directly rather than going through one of these third-party apps, which takes a slice of the profits. But the thing is, the delivery companies might not really be making that much either. That's how Aaron sees it. There's just a certain financial reality to making certain businesses exist. And there's a reason that delivery didn't exist in a lot of markets for a lot of years. And it's because it's incredibly low margin and very hard to pull off. Because they're trying, I mean, they, it's, it's an expensive proposition to kind of efficiently transport food from restaurants all over a city to, you know, people in their homes. Um, and they don't want to raise prices too high for the consumer or that consumer will just go to one of the other apps that has lower prices. Um, and so what these, these apps are basically focused now on getting as much of a foothold as they can in the market and then figuring that they'll worry about profitability later. But you know, as we've as we've seen with with other startups that have sort of flamed out recently, WeWork being the the most immediate example, um, it's not clear what's going to happen. The fact that none of these companies are actually making money, even as they are already charging restaurants and customers a decent chunk of money for their services, is really concerning for people like Aaron and Hayden at Homeroom. I worry that that whole universe collapses at some point, you know, because their business model is not yet sustainable. I don't think there's a single one that's turning a profit. And like I said, it's not cheap to get that mac and cheese. So, (laughs) you know, at what point does the customer not want to buy it? And at what point do those companies need to stop burning through cash to, to gain market share? Right. I don't at that point does this whole thing collapse under itself, right? Because that's a huge number of people I'd have to lay off and a huge amount of business I would have to stop doing. And that is really scary. It seems unlikely to me that the online delivery market is just going to collapse and there's going to be no way for people to deliver from home. The demand is so great that that seems almost impossible. But it's certainly unclear like what sort of consolidation there'll be or how the how the the business model will evolve over the next few years and so if you're a restaurant owner kind of caught in the middle of this that creates a lot of anxiety i mean it's not new news that doordash is in works of acquiring caviar which are um two of our biggest delivery services. And so that then that creates a monopoly on, you know, it, there are so many different pieces where it's like, oh, that makes me nervous, but also like it could be really great. We have no control over it, which I think is the scariest part because it is up to venture capital and, and where the consumer, you know, how they want to spend their money to get food. You know, a reasonable follow-up question to that is, well, If the apps are hurting these restaurants, then why do they agree to be listed on them? And and, and the argument that the apps make is the lowering margins are offset by new orders that we're bringing to the restaurants that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise, what they call incremental orders. And in some cases, I think that's certainly been true. But increasingly, we're seeing restaurants complain that what's actually happening is that the apps aren't bringing new customers, but they're cannibalizing old customers. So people who used to come into the restaurant and sit at a table or who used to order takeout directly are now ordering through the apps. And so the apps aren't bringing new business. They're stealing the old business and taking a slice of the profits that the restaurants previously got. 
But the thing is, the apps have become so popular at this point that those those customers that have been stolen away aren't coming back. Um, and if if a restaurant that's listed on Grubhub were to were to leave Grubhub, then it would ultimately be in an even worse situation than it is currently with the kind of the commissions. So it's it's sort of like the restaurants are caught between a rock and a hard place. They can't live with the apps, they can't live without them, and they're just kind of scrambling to adjust to this new normal. So when you open a couple new places, are they going to be more to-go oriented or more like the original store? You know, we'd like to do a little bit of a, a combination of both because we're a very community oriented business. And so as much as you know, I think that there would be a revenue justification for just doing delivery only. It just doesn't, it's not exciting to us, you know? Um, I mean, it is in the sense that, like I said, I want us to be able to be part of, you know, to be brought into people's homes is incredibly special and I don't want to minimize that, but to create a place for your community to also come feels very special too. And that's something that we're not ready to just abandon. I mean, it did certainly allow us to grow our team, you know, like when it was just the restaurant, we had 50 employees and it literally doubled our employee count up to a hundred. And, you know, at that point you can have just a much stronger executive team, right? Like at that point, you know, we brought on like, you know, full-time HR and just like stuff that was able to really support the mission in a way that like 50 is honestly an incredibly awkward number. It's like, (laughs) you know, um, so I think, that growth allowed us to justify positions that help both locations that couldn't have existed otherwise. There are a lot of challenges that come with this new delivery space. But like I said earlier, the demand is only going to grow. And there are some positives to this whole thing. While the system that these platforms are built on is really scary and precarious, it's also allowed a lot of places like Homeroom to expand. Yeah, I think when you grow and you grow in a way that aligns with your values, you can make bigger decisions and decisions that are going to affect more people, more customers and employ more people. And I think we're, we're, we're a pretty high road employer. And so the more people we can employ, the better. For Homeroom, being able to have more opportunities to hire people is really important. Like Aaron said, they wanted to grow according to their values. And one of their values is hiring in a way that reflects the Oakland community and having opportunities for women and people of color in leadership. Hayden was one of those people. Started as a busser, did hosting, did cashiering, bartending, serving. Um, I helped with some dessert stuff for a while in the kitchen. I was responsible for training for a while. Moved into management, floor management level, like lead cashier kind of thing. Did the general manager, operations manager stuff. And then in the last year, I was promoted to director of operations. (laughs) It was helpful with my development, and I've seen it be helpful with many others' development. Our general manager, Molly, was the general manager here at To Go for about a year. The general manager position became available at the restaurant, and she kind of moved over there. So it's just you're really mastering different types of business, and so that is so good. We're all about empowering people to become, like, the best that they can be. Not everyone is going to be me (laughs) and be here for five years and like want this upward mobility, but we can still provide people really awesome things to put on their resume elsewhere. And so like putting just really awesome people back into that job world. So for cooks in front of house folks, having both a to-go location and the sit-down restaurant means that they have a lot of different training and professional development opportunities. 
we have a really this cool system. Our new employees, we always put it right here in the to-go location. They can get familiar with ingredients, right? All the recipes, they get familiar with the cheese, all the toppings, meat, and that, and they start cooking. So after the really full training about all the ingredients, recipes, now we send them to the restaurant. Why? Because over there, they get a speed. To-go location, we have bigger space. Right here, we have almost seven cook stations right here. Restaurant location, we super small. We only have capacity for three. Three, so it's half of it. But I mean, our sales over there, I want to say like 50,000 in the restaurant. And right here, 75,000 uh, right there. But it's only 25,000 difference, but over there we only have three stations in the restaurant. Right here we have six. So the speed and the pace in the restaurant is way different. And also, I mean, how you present the, the, the dish, right? You need to put in, you know, like top uh, kind of toppings in the top, look fancy. So those ones take a time. So line cooks, they need to pay more attention to kind of those little details. Right here is more like a volume right here. Yeah, it's, I mean, I talked to line cooks and some line cooks, they only want to work in to-go location, they don't want to work in the restaurant. But I mean, I think we're really transparency and we tell like we hire you for homeroom. Homeroom have two different locations. All line cooks, we have that, that cross-training. So. And when people are ready to move on, maybe open their own place, delivery apps and ghost kitchens provide another opportunity that wasn't there before. It's really good. I feel like for people that want to open his own restaurants, they don't need to buy like a, or rent a big restaurant. You only lease like a small kitchen. You can cook, prep, and deliver your food. I think is really cool cool experience. Years ago, if you want to like have, if you have like a really nice recipe and like a family recipe and you want to introduce to the, to the customers, I mean, you need to, we need to open a restaurant, right? And I feel like at these times right now, you don't need that. I mean, you really need like a small place you can cook, introduce your, your food, your menu to the, to the customers. And I feel like right now the to-go experience is, is growing really crazy. A restaurant's half a million to a million. You know, these are incredibly high barriers to entry. And I think that the best food comes from the heart. There's so many people that never get that opportunity. So I think this is sort of amazing. I mean, it really democratizes food and makes it possible for all sorts of people to enter the market because all you need is an iPad and a kitchen. I mean, that's amazing, you know, and I'm delighted about that. We want to hear what you think about third-party delivery apps. Frustrated by the technology? Scared of what all this venture capital stuff means? Excited about ghost kitchens? Love them or hate them, what's your experience? Just record a voice memo on your phone and send them to hello at copperandheat.com. If you haven't already done it, hit that subscribe button in your podcast app. Then you can keep up with all of our new episode releases throughout this season. While you're there, leave us a review. Overhead, the second season of Copper and Heat is produced by me, Katie Osuna, and Ricardo Osuna. Our editor is Rachel Palmer. Head on over to Twitter or Instagram and find us at Copper and Heat, or check out our website, copperandheat.com. All the music you hear is produced by us under the name Gamma Gardens. Check out other tracks on Instagram and SoundCloud. Thank you so much for listening.